You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We've been having a good time over here. The last couple episodes were very, God forbid, centric. And, you know, the show is growing. Every month, I'm seeing the numbers, baby. We're blowing up. Well, I don't know if we're blowing up, but <laughs> we're getting there day by day. But I, I appreciate it. I get to hear from you guys all the time. And People seem to really be enjoying what's going on with the with the show, and my whole goal with this is just to to get as I guess as personal as possible without being exploitive, and hopefully get there in a in a way of honesty, as hopefully as honest and as human as as possible. Um, I'm not going to do a big intro this week. I want to get into our conversation as quickly as possible. But before I do that, I'd like to talk about a great Jabberjaw Media podcast. This one is called Friend or Foe, that's F-A-U-X. It is a comedy podcast that will have you laughing and keep you guessing. Listen in as host Devlin Wilder speaks with engaging humans across the pop culture sphere to find out what propels their art and makes them tick. This oddball and insightful show features enlightening interviews, games, and parody ad spots with amazing guests and have included Mad TV's Chelsea Davidson, singer-songwriter Kina Grannis, or Kina, or Kina, I don't know, I'll have to figure it out, <laughs> uh, comedian Veer Das, Brittany Young from Glow on Netflix, and multi-Grammy winner and comedy genius Weird Al Yankovic. New episodes of Friend or Foe drop almost every Monday or on friendorfopod.com. We also have it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker. I don't know about no Spreaker. No one told me about that. And everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, including its home based on Jabberjaw Media. And you could also find it on Twitter and Instagram at friendorfopod. And remember, that's F A U X. And I would like to make one more reminder to you guys. Uh, I want to thank a bunch of people who actually rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. That's a huge help. Uh, we're also we're accepting sponsorships, bands that want to get their songs played on the show. Keep in mind, the show is growing. So 
the earlier you get in, the uh, the cheaper the rates are going to be. Just get at me. Also, there is a Doc Coil newsletter, the DC Monthly. Yes, I will be sending out once a month to give you a little update on all my projects, whether it's music, whether it's podcasts, whether it's articles I'm working on. If you want, you can just send me your email via social media or send me an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. That would be awesome. And now, without further delay, I would like to get into my talk with Mercedes Lander, drummer of Kitty. And as I've spoken with her, it's a little bit debatable whether she's an ex ex man or ex woman of the band as they're kind of on a on an extended hiatus with the possibility of them of them doing some activity or maybe doing some shows. But believe it or not, this is the first woman I've had on the show. And believe it or not, I feel like that's a problem. I thought about it and I was you tend to do something like this and you don't have these big broad ideas or or goals in that regard. But the truth is I have to tell a more diverse story um, and I have to make that um, part of the platform here is, is that really, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I know a lot of different people of um, different identities, but the truth is if you talk to a woman, she's going to have a different kind of story and I want to make it a point here to do that. And I know some people, eh, identity politics, eh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Well. I hear you, but it's also like, I, it's not like I was doing not having women on purposefully, you know, it's just this thing you don't really think about. So, you, so sometimes you have to make it a point or else that viewpoint is not heard. Um, and you know, that's, it's something I, I do care about. And if it annoys you, I don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> um, I'm really, really, really honored to have Mercedes on the, on the show, um, they were really trailblazers in their field and they've been ins- inspirational to me just being able to tour with them and see their attitude and see the way they work. So this is a really, really fantastic talk and I hope you guys enjoy it. So here you go. It is Mercedes Lander of the band Kitty. <laughs> First off, thank you so much for making yourself available. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Well, listen, I mean, you'd be amazed. There's like a cross section of veteran musicians like you and myself, some of which want to kind of be involved and are staying busy and kind of want to put themselves out there. And then there's a whole other group of people who kind of want to stay out of any limelight. You know, um, like I've, I've asked a few people in bands that we know to do the show. And at first they're like, yeah, it'd be cool. And then they're like, you know what? I don't, I, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> you know, they, there's, Why? well, I think there's considerations depending on, on what your, your other band was. Or I, I think there's also this element too with uh, social media where everyone's so available. Right. And that makes, Yeah. And in a sense, I think there's this a really there's a lot of power in going against that and just saying, you know, what? I'm not going to be always on 
this thing. I'm, yeah. I'm, and, well, and some people I mean, you just don't hear from. And I think in some ways I'm like jealous of them. I'm like, they get to just like go to the mall and <laughs> not tweet about it. <laughs> not- yeah. Uh, honestly, you're only available as much as you want to be available. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I don't, there's a lot of things that I don't like, I, I won't write back about. What do you mean? Like people or, send you messages and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I try not to only because, you know, uh, with certain things, but a lot of stuff. Yeah, I will. If it's just like somebody like, Hey, how's it going? Great. I like your band. Like, that's fine. But like, well, were you guys one of those bands because you were like us where in a sense, when we started, the internet was still pretty new. Yeah. The, uh, social media started forming around what we were already doing by yeah. the, by the end, or I guess in the later years were you guys, one of those bands that was, was very available through social media. Yeah. And we always were totally that band that, um, but in, in the last few years, we've kind of just kind of put the brakes on that. And by the way, just and I don't guys really... listening, she, she, she put that hand like the Heisman, like that face, like get out my face. but and and it's not really any for any other reason other than the fact that like a lot of the questions that are being asked like just go to wikipedia yeah (laughs) (laughs) well well it's in many ways my starting this show were for people just like us who we what what happens you know or what has previously happened you put you get ready to put out a record and then it's like, all right, it's press day. And you know you know how it is. And it, after two or three stupid interviews, you want to put a gun in your mouth. <laughs> because yeah. it, it literally is the same. It's the same questions. It's a detachment. And I think having, it, in many ways, just a, a point of empathy that we've all been through you and i have had the similar experiences mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so probably this- extra you probably you and i know more about the extra stupid questions more than anything else well i i did a a fan questions episode of the show and i answered everything and then when there was something that i considered to be a little hack i i i, I spoke about it <laughs> i kind of said hey guys I'm going to educate you on how what questions to ask and not to ask. And I kind of did what you said. Listen, if you can Wikipedia it, then there's no reason to ask me. Yeah. You know, that like, especially now there's so much, there's so many resources. There's so much information. You know, it's like, oh, who's that guy? The guy that was in that show, that movie. It's like, motherfucker, I got IMDb. I look it up in five seconds now. I don't need to know. You know, I don't, I, you know, you, you can kind of offset yeah. Your, your your memory for for trivial things. I don't need to know some of these things. But yeah, so yeah. So, so so there is there is some of that. But for all the artists out there who are also listening, this the X Man is a is a safe space. For oh, safe completely. Safe space. That's right. This is you know you can open up and um and I will not judge. <laughs> but all right, so so are you technically an X? member of kitty is kitty no more or is it kind of this hibernating beast well uh, things kind of so with that basically things just started to get a little too out of control with the costs of us being able to go to 
America and tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that speaking directly to the immigration and the visas? Immigration, yeah. So yeah. how how so, how much would it cost you guys just in in visas and expenses related to that to come to America? Um, well, visas visas are pretty like depending on what kind of visa you want, right? If you want, if you have an, a record that's coming out, you're going to want to purchase a one year visa. Yeah, for um, for a cycle. Yeah. So each person, it's uh, for a one year visa is it just it went up last year forty six percent, I think. So I think it's like twenty five hundred, closer to three thousand dollars a person. Okay, so you're. And so by virtue of that, you probably would utilize a lot of American crew so you wouldn't have to purchase extra visas as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. We like honestly, like um, we're all about stimulating the economy that we're working in, obviously. So, you know, when when we cross the border and uh, the border guard says, well, you're stealing American jobs, we can say, well, we have American bus. They they would say that. Yeah, I've been told that before. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, no, it is. It is a hundred percent. And then on top of that, um, we have to make a central tolling agreement with the IRS. Um, so they don't withhold 30% of your earnings and that can cost anywhere from five <clears throat> to $10,000. So did you ever, considering that most of your touring was based in the U S did you guys ever consider just moving? Um, it was, something that we talked about earlier on in our career um but again uh there are obviously some downfalls that uh, are associated with that right um uh, number one being the fact that uh living in a place without universal health care is just something that i don't want to do true 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 <laughs> you yeah, know, you get that. Yeah, but you, you got that dual citizenship. You, you know, you you turn an ankle, you just uh, yeah, <laughs> you take just, a little you know, trip, like get over drive the border, all the way home or whatever. Yeah, so like that was, and 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 now I don't, I don't think that would be anything that I would want to do unless you know now with the current climate. Not that I'm like into political stuff, um, but uh, I just don't think it would be a, a place. For, that any of us would really want to, um, you know, we like our country. Well, it's no, it's interesting because, and that's the thing about politics is that at some basis it will affect you, right? Even someone like yeah. you, you're saying, I, I don't really want, want to be political, but you are at the end of political means, right? People took steps to make certain policies and that affects, yeah. and, that, and that affects your life. It, yeah, it affects it affects the band for sure. And like and like things were things used to be a lot easier. It was easier for us to be able to go back and forth. Um, and the, and the, when, the policy actually changed. You're saying? Yeah. Well, things just got harder. Um, it was uh, the wait times for visas became longer. Like you used to have a turnaround for a visa in like 15 20 maybe 30 days mm-hmm. now it's 90 yeah. so um it, or at least the last time i tried to get a visa uh, it was 90 days well i mean that's been a thing that's been happening to all kinds of bands cradle filth had a tour yeah. they were supposed to do and their visas yeah. didn't get turned around fast enough i was like right after i quit god forbid i was playing with Unearth, and yeah. we were s- supposed to open up for sepultura 
we did all these mm -hmm. dates. We did like a week of dates getting to the start of the tour in California. We're like playing. Yeah. We did some shows at Nonpoint. And two days before the tour, supposed to start in LA, we basically get the call. Their visas didn't come through. Sepultura can't come. The whole tour is canceled. So it's, yeah. So this is this is something, and it's. I've, I've been thinking. I was talking to somebody on the the podcast not too long ago about why don't we have representatives going to government? You know, why don't we have the? You know, why is why isn't Justin Bieber going and saying, "Hey, Canadian artists come across the border and they're trying yeah. to yeah, people want to yeah. people want to yeah. see Justin Bieber. He's not take no one's Justin Bieber's not taking a job from Bruno Mars or something, you know? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Like right? you're the but only thing that like you're the only kitty. So you can't take the job from another kitty. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Exactly, exactly. But like again, like and that that hindered me from like going and doing um, like a lot of the teaching that I would do, um, like across the border, um, drum, and drum teaching. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, there was one summer where I actually now have a permanent stain on my record because I went and I taught at a community college for a week. Mm -hmm. And the first I was supposed to, it was supposed to be two weeks, but the first week I couldn't go because, um, they decided that they, uh, uh, they decided that they didn't want, they said, oh, you're stealing American jobs. We don't really think that um, this is the kind of visa that you should have. And um, we're just not going to let you in. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, I'll say it right now. It is impossible for us to even have a conversation about something like this without yeah. without it being political. It is. Yeah, of it course. Is, of course. It is it essentially, especially in America now, it is. It might be the, the most hot, hot topic, kind of a mm -hmm. no pun intended, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, like in a nutshell, I mean, really, it just for us, it just became too difficult for us to go over there um, and be able because we're a family business. We're self. We do everything ourselves. We don't have managers. We don't have, you know. This, that's what we do. That's what we've always done. We're a family business. How much touring did you guys do in Europe? Quite a bit. Um, but again, the last time we were over there was 2010, I think, 2011, maybe. Mm -hmm. I was over there after the fact. I Every once in a while, I'll do like a pickup gig or whatever. And I went out with my friend Jenny, who now her, for her solo record, I did a tour over in England with her. Um, she plays bass for Eagles death metal now. Oh yeah. But, um, but yeah, so like I, I went and I did a tour with them. It was great. It was great. Um, but, but they, again, like Kitty, they don't charge though as much for visas no. to get go to Europe. No, it's, and, and we're Canadian too. So we're a part of the Commonwealth and they're like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> must be, must be nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. So I've been going back, listening to some, to the whole catalog. Oh, and, great. What? No, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm telling you one, one of the amazing things about modernity and things like Spotify, by the way, Oracle's mm -hmm. not on Spotify. Okay. Who it's we, not? It is. Well, I didn't see it. Maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm not good at looking for things. I don't know. We have to, we have to, we have to talk to some people. So I have to go to YouTube to listen to Oracle. Oh, okay. A very okay. compressed and not very 
good sounding version of that. But so I went back and listened to the to to the first album, and I think for anyone that follows you, and and, mm-hmm. and for for you guys, that first album is in many ways like this um, kind of like atom bomb, um, and, I, and I mean that in a good way, like it the impact, right? Mm-hmm. So everything. Yeah. Everything in a sense from your career afterward was based on the fact that this album kind of came out of nowhere and exploded. Mm-hmm. Like you guys literally exploded on, on onto the scene. The first time I ever heard you guys was on K Rock in New okay. York. And this is probably Dennis. <laughs> I don't know who I don't know who played it, but it was the fact that it was like a brand because things this just doesn't happen anymore. Where you have like a yeah. like a band that's been out for three months and all of a sudden they're on the big and this is when radio was radio this is when it was the biggest you know they were playing you know right around the same time they had just i think broken lincoln park had you know been a new band just beginning played on the radio but it was you know it's red hot chili peppers and it's aerosmith that's the type of radio station that you guys are going to play it on so this was that was the first time i heard you guys and then i saw you at the birchill nightclub Okay. Uh, old Birchill. Do you, you okay? You remember Birchill? All right, good. Of course. Good, but it, but it was sold out in advance, and I think Glassjaw opened up for you guys. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, so this is that's just a certain framing, you know. Like, does how? I'm just I don't know. I'm, I'm I just wish for me. I wish I could like literally like you know they have those body. A switching movies where like someone mm-hmm. like where I can literally go in like a time machine and see that experience through your eyes and see what it that was, was like. It was fucking crazy. Like, so if you could imagine being like a 15 year old girl, um, well, which first off, might that, be... just, just that in and of itself that see that, cause that's the whole heart yeah. of the body switching movies. All right. It's just, yeah, yeah. but now so yeah. 15 year old girl. And then all the other shit. <laughs> yeah. So like it, it would it was weird, right? Like because we uh, like no who the fuck is from London, Ontario? Absolutely no one. Um, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a small town, but it's smaller. There's no real cosmopolitan kind of feel to this area. It's like suburbia. So how did um, the, how did the record even? come about because the thing about it because all right i'm just gonna cut you off real quick the even now listening to it and even though i'm sure for you you even you probably listen to it and probably it's obviously the most no it's the most kind of simplistic version of of the band but it's produced really well like it's you know and it's um it does not sound like some it even if you guys said oh it was a group of 22 year old um girls from london ontario i there's nothing to say that oh that that it sounds like children like it's it's pretty advanced uh for for what it is so how did it it even come out to something that was so kind of um i guess well groomed uh even to that point well i see we played a oh, well okay so i mean we had basically what happened what had happened was what happened we <laughs> we uh, we played uh, this music industry festival called Canadian Music Week CMW, which is kind of like CMJ. Yep. In New York, 
Um, you, you, you know, pay for your submission and stuff like that. And we, you know, at that point had played Toronto a couple times and, um, we literally, uh, you know, we had just been playing around town, uh, around like Southwestern Ontario for about two years. So, um, all of those songs that we played, you know, a couple hundred times. So you were, but, so you already playing and written those songs when you were like 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was 13 and there's two other recordings of those same songs out like, like demos. Dem demos. Okay. Yeah. Like the six song EP is you could play them side by side and they sound uh, to spit and they sound almost identical. Mm -hmm. uh, spits sounds uh, obviously sonically a little better. Um, but they're the exact same songs, same tempo, same exact everything, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that record spit was recorded in nine days. So, and we were going to school at the same time. So as soon as we were done school, we'd go to the studio, we'd record until like two in the morning and then get up for school. The next Who produced day. it? Uh, Garth Richardson. Oh. So at the time, his yeah. dad that dude's the, was he's the shit. Yeah, I like Garth. So at, at the time, his dad, they're from London. Um, they live in London, or his dad did live in London. He passed away a few years ago. Um, and uh, so the guy who owned the studio that we had been recording at knew Garth from the uh, music industry arts program that's at the local college here and was like, oh, hey, so you guys want to do a full length? Let me see if garth will do it so at that point we already had label interest because we we played canadian music week and we signed to a really small label called ng records you probably remember them orange nine millimeter was on it that was like well i mean I, I know them from you guys yeah for the most so part. yeah so um we we played uh we played canadian music week we ended up signing with ng and then we were already planning to go in and do uh like a full length and then garth agreed to do it um and then basically it was like he had nine days in his schedule and uh so he came to london we recorded it in nine days were you doing and, it live uh, yeah it was well kind of no not really it was uh basically me and bed tracks mm -hmm. and then just like like a regular recording yeah um but you know, we were really quick about stuff because that's just a how we've always kind of normally worked. Um, no, I know our and, first uh, our first full length album, Reject the Sickness, same thing, ten days. I think yeah. include, including mixing, so I think it was seven days tracking, and then yeah, yeah it, like you know what though, doing it like that, it captures everything perfectly, and and that's how you come off like a like an album that has like a, that raw kind of angst. That's how we captured that. And we've always recorded like that. Really, we always try and be really quick. Um, we always try and be really, um, you know, spontaneous even. Yeah. No, I, listen, I, I can't say the same, same for, for God forbid, every record. It was like 10 days, then three weeks, then a month. Then every record just took longer and longer because we, we, yeah. we, we got into like, we're like making opuses now. We're like, this is my, oh. my, my progressive... Um, you know, this, you know, we, we got very deep, like, oh, we'll have strings over here and then we'll have, we'll bring the choirs in. I'm, I'm being facetious, but we were, yeah, <laughs> we definitely got I indulgent. <laughs> I don't think the only record that we ever took more than 
three or four weeks to record is funeral for yesterday. And that's because Jack Pawnee wanted to do it song by song. And that took forever. Yeah. That's interesting. Which, yeah, which, I mean, that works sometimes. I get, I get why he wanted to do it. Um, that's almost like how the Beatles, that's almost like how the Beatles would do records and stuff. Yeah. Do a song and then do another song. So that was, that was fucking two months. That was a long time. But um, other than that, like, I mean, yeah, we've we've never really taken a whole lot of time to record. And everything's always with us. Everything's always done. Like, we know what we're doing. We go in there and it's just like, Bleh. you know what I mean? It's it's done before we even get in there. Yeah. So you do the record. By the way, that's it's so fascinating that just in, in a sense, luck of the draw, you had a, a yeah. producer that was that good and almost yeah. and kind of who became known for stuff in that style just happened to live in your town. So it's almost, you know, you look at the serendipity of situations like that. It's it's very interesting. So so the record comes out. How long after the record actually comes out does it start to pop off? So it, it actually, okay. So that on K-Rock, so... Uh, let, oh, let me backtrack a little bit. So we went out that summer. We were planning on releasing 8,000 copies. They were going to print 8,000 copies of Spit, NG. We were going to go out on tour in the summer, and then we were going to go back to school, and it would be like, yay, we did a record. Mm-hmm. So that was the plan. Tour that with who, plan. though? Just with on your own? NG. No, no. We went out with uh, Skin Lab. Do you okay. remember that band, Skin Lab? Yeah, they, we were label yeah. mates. Yeah, Skin Lab and Pissing Razors. If oh, you that's remember like a, that band. Yeah, that's like a cool tour for that time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so that was the plan. The we finished recording that album. Uh, we were still in school, so it was the end of the school year. So it would have been like April or May or something like that. Um, and then we, I remember we the first, um, the first show of that tour uh, was Milwaukee Metal Fest, nineteen ninety nine. Um, but, uh, so the plan was we were going to do that one tour, 8,000 copies were going to be pressed. And that was that. So it initially, those 8,000 copies got released in October of 1999. So what happened, uh, I guess somebody at K-Rock got a hold of Brackish before, that, now, the, like, now, this is, now the, hold on, this is the New York K-Rock. Yes. Okay. So, so somebody at K-Rock um, got a hold of it, and his name was, I believe his, I believe it was Dennis, Dennis from K-Rock. You know, he had bald guy, really nice guy. Anyway, he got a hold of Brackish and played it. Late at night, it was later at night. It was the first time we had ever been played on, like, a commercial radio um he played it and he said and him and i've had a conversation about this later he said that his switchboard lit the fuck up like he said that he had calls for like hours afterwards like the phone lines were jammed people were like who is this where can i buy this so those eight thousand copies that we put out in like regionally in like new york new jersey like in the tri-state area it was like kind of like a regional release they sold in a week. So they pulled the record, NG pulled the record, and uh, 
And they were like, okay, well, we got to do a proper setup now because this is going to explode. So they pulled the record and then we re-released it in January. So they had all that time to, so that was really like the, the pinnacle, like, holy, what the fuck moment. People yeah. like, like, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I have, I have all the emails <laughs> from like, we, we printed out and like, I, I actually found them. I just moved. So like I found a bunch of the old stuff in my house and I was reading it and like, it was like an email chain uh, printed on a dot matrix printer. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, it was just like people like, just like, holy shit. Like how, how is this even happening? You know? Um, and it was, uh, they, they were like, well, it looks like we have a hit on our hands. So, you know, um, they pulled it and then went back to the drawing board and uh, did a proper release for the record. Yeah. And, and that record, so that record went gold in America. Yeah. Did it go gold or platinum in Canada? No, close. We're very close in Canada. So, and but. so, and, and I think, you know, I'm sure you know it specifically, but I remember that time you guys, I think you opened for Slipknot. Yeah. You did, you headlined, I mean, I think maybe it was later or maybe it was the next record where you headlined Ozfest. The second stage? Nope, that record we did, uh, we co headlined with Soulfly so far, okay, on the yeah. second stage. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, and really, and this is the kind of the most definitive thing I, I, I kind of learned re-listening to the materials that it's so much on the new metal pulse, right? Like, I think you could probably put that record with Soulfly's first record, with Slipknot's first record. Like, it, it was definitely a, a sound and a vibe where you guys kind of, you know, hit the wave at the perfect time when that stuff was yeah. completely peaking. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then yet, then I listen to each subsequent record and it's like by the, by the last record, you know, you guys are basically almost like a technical new wave of American heavy metal band by the end of it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, which is, which is interesting to me because it's a, a kind of a wave or not a wave. I'd say an arc that is, not dissimilar like you look at a band like Chimera they had a very similar arc where they started very new metal and then became mm -hmm. more thrashy more technical more mm -hmm. quote-unquote heavy metal you look at a band like Job for a Cowboy who started very deathcore and wanted to become more of a traditional death metal band and even a band like us yeah. who who's who was coming out of the metalcore world but wanted to kind of cement our heavy metal bona fides you know like and i think there's this thing of once you're you kind of come in the scene on the back of this of some other trend but then you, you then you end up in the like tapestry of the actual heavy metal world and then you, yeah and then you then you get influenced by by that you know um how it was you... weird because i feel like um it's it's interesting that you throw the word new metal out there because like probably our biggest influence for that record there's two big influences and two records for that that i can think of and both of them are not new metal records okay so the first record is the same band first record is portrait of american family by marilyn manson well that's debatable record, that's debatable whether that's new metal yes. by the way yeah understandable second record is antichrist superstar Okay. So those two records were like those those two albums were like those were like 
oh my God, for us, like we were huge Marilyn Manson fans and like going back and listening to those records, like now I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> I can just tell like, but like that's, uh, and, and at the same time, I think at that time, our playing ability wouldn't let us get any farther. We weren't good enough to play how we play now. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Of because course. we were just little kids. Yeah, it had to Yeah, that that doesn't happen yeah. o- overnight. And even it's funny, it's so interesting with the with the Marilyn Manson thing because so many people, I think the influence that Marilyn Manson has for a lot of bands in later years is more about the image and more, yeah. and and more about the kind of vibe like, "Oh, I'm kind, we're kind of going to do this industrially gothy thing but Mm -hmm. i think what what you're talking about is this kind of and this is something i noticed too is this like dirty rock thing that's happening under under underneath and which to me almost has like this um a hint of grunge you know i I hear that i hear that in 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 the music as well but no that that's really interesting but the but the big difference between you guys and marilyn manson is you guys had the the bouncy riffs and to me yeah. that that's the thing that that makes it where i hear certain things where even like that um um the spit even that little lyric and like the the vocal thing is very mm-hmm. similar to the corn song what's the one i forget uh oh it's off the second record but i'm just saying i i hear that but the thing is i mean how do you you're, you're saying you you guys don't like you didn't feel part of the new metal thing or you don't see how that record well, sits within I that? think, I, I don't know, it's weird because like I always felt like we didn't really fit in anywhere. Yeah. There was just something a little off about us. But you didn't, all right, so you're open up for Slipknot in 1999 yeah. or 2000. You guys weren't like crushing it. Crushing it, like what do you mean? Like the like, crowd's not going crazy. It's oh like, yeah. How, oh, how people was merch? Were nuts about we sold ten thousand dollars of merch or something crazy. So people, were, yeah, yeah. But oh, how is that course, not? Yeah. How is that not fitting in? Oh <laughs> if yeah. You're crushing well, it. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, like we always got put with bands that kind of, or, or we always ended up taking out bands, or we always ended up opening up for bands that were kind of like, oh. That's an interesting mix because uh, we always kind of felt like we never really fit in with anybody because yeah. we were we were just a little bit different. I It could have been because we're from Canada. It could be because we're like so segregated from an actual like cosmopolitan music scene mm-hmm. um, that we uh, who knows. Right. Well, but that's the kind of another interesting thing to me about you guys was how you guys almost became this tastemaker. Where later on, because I so do you remember the, when we first met? Because I do. <laughs> it was. Uh, you want me to say it? I'll say it. it. Yeah, you can say it. It was. It was actually at Birchill. Yes. Uh, but and it was forty below summer was opening up and Moto Grader. Yeah. I forget who was the. I feel like maybe there was one more band, but those are the two that I that I remember. So, and those two bands were pretty definitively part of the quote-unquote new metal scene or like the last kind of gasp and within like a year of that you guys did a tour which was kind of a seminal tour for our scene where you guys took out kill switch poison the well and shadows fall yeah so 
Now that's a pretty distinct shift, right? In yeah. The, in the so, scenes, in the style of band. So yeah, well, you you tell me about that. Like what shifted for so, you? So it, it uh, that was the difference between us taking out bands that we wanted to take out and us taking out bands that our uh, booking agent picked for us. Yeah, and and so, I heard, yeah, and it performed well, right? Yeah, and like because. I, I we we felt like um a lot of times like uh like a lot of those like quote unquote new metal bands we felt like we didn't really fit in with them because we had a little bit of a different style and not that we fit in really with shadows fall or anything like that but we were like we're gonna take out bands that we like right yeah yeah so that was like the pinnacle sp- part where we were just like okay you know fuck this we're just gonna take out who we want to take out yeah but well the thing is being on the outside looking in and kind of almost hearing stories about that tour from oh. from those guys <laughs> no because they would they were they were so at you know you gotta remember us kill switch uh yeah. poison well we're coming from this very um closed off scene you know mm-hmm. what you call it the hardcore scene whatever you want to call it um and that was the kind of the beginning of branching out and kind of getting to a more quote unquote mainstream audience and you yeah. would just you would just hear these guys and they were like man this tour was sick it sold out every night they're like all these kids who had never would have heard yeah. shadows fall or kill switch they actually like what we're doing and it was and it i feel in a lot of ways you guys helped set the stage for that because those became the next kind of group of bands to really make a statement and you helped expose those bands um to a broader audience you know you know what doc i love you thanks for (laughs) saying that it's true. you know what and like it's true though like i mean i can we took previous to that we did take shadows fall out um in europe for like the longest the longest fucking tour ever in Europe. It was like two and a half months. We did and... one of those. We did one of those. Pardon? We did a two and a half month European tour with Machine Head. Those, yeah. cha- those, Painful, those, those right? change you. You don't come back the same person. No, no. Um, and like I at the time, you know, Shadows Fall, they were on Century Media and Century Media did not really give a fuck about them. And uh so we did we ended up paying for their ferry for like they did they didn't have enough money to take the ferry over to Sweden. So we paid for their ferry. We were always like slipping them extra cash and like, you know, giving them food and stuff like that. And like always just making sure that they were taken care of because we really liked them. They were good people and they were good to tour with as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are my homies, man. I like them a lot. I see every once in a while. I'll go to St. Louis and I'll visit. I'll see Brian. It's nice. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, he 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 made a comment on because uh, I had Corey from God forbid on the show and and he made a comment. I'm I'm, I'm like I'm I'm gonna get you on the show. We're gonna get you. But the, you know what I like doing? There's some people who are just out there. You know, doing you know they're they're everywhere. They're they're doing a lot of shows. I like the people that no one's talking to. So, you know, I, that's who I'm trying to grab. I'm trying to grab the people that, that you know, aren't overexposed. So, me, ah, I got thanks. I got a Mercedes exclusive, motherfucker. Exclusive. That's right. <laughs> so, there was this change within the scene 
there's mm-hmm. this change slowly but surely within the sound of the band where you guys are, like I said, be going from this quasi maybe pseudo new metal sound into a more traditional or I'd say I'd say like you guys kind of more got an hour scene, like just that kind of American new wave American heavy metal sound. Yeah. Um and through that time, I mean things do not remain the same in terms of the fan engagement with 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 the band is that would that be correct to say or or you know what how would you how, 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 how would you describe it um w- well during that period of time uh, we were also in a pretty long lawsuit with our label it, with ng artemis by that point they it was the same same label they had changed the name or yeah, yeah uh they've got bought out by artemis ng okay. did so how many records um, did you do with with that label three so that's why there was a good uh, three-year gap between Oracle and Until the End, um, because we were fighting with them. And so, what, what was the end product of that? Um, we settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money, and um, and then we got to put out a record, our, our, the last record with, uh, with Artemis which was until the end. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, too. Uh, it, it was, uh, you can, you know, obviously, you spend three years um, duking it out, and it, it really does, and you're not constantly putting out material. It really does take its toll, right? So you felt um, a, a pretty big difference between in, in that gap. Yeah, yeah. Three years is a long time to not, to just, like, literally tour the U.S. 12 fucking times. We did 12 yet legs of a U.S. tour. Did you think 12. you overexposed yourself? Probably. But at the same time, that's what we felt we needed to do to keep the band afloat and to keep the money rolling in order for us to pay for lawyers. Yeah. So we went out there and we, we grounded out. and But at the same time, I mean, I wouldn't really say that engagement was lower, but people weren't buying records as much things started to change with that. So, um, and I mean, we did that tour with Shadows Fall, Killswitch, and, uh, and Poison, uh, the well. Poison the Well. And that was 2003. Yep. That was 2003. So we put out, it was either 2000, yeah, it was 2003. So we put out uh, until the end the next year. It was great. Like, I mean, we had so much fun, like, on it during those 800 legs of touring the US. <laughs> but at the same time, it was, um, and, you know, uh, the label really did not want us to succeed at that point. So um, they, you know, there was definitely some, and we had nothing to show for it, right? We were fighting with them. So we really wanted, we were ready to put out a record the next year. Um, but again, they, you know, we ended up doing that and um, it's what it is, right? And then by the time, you know, we settle and then we go to put out a new record with them, it's like the, the bridge is already burned. Well, that's what I'm, I'm surprised you, you settled, but then you still put a record out with them. It, there was never a thing where, hey, we're going to yes. settle and then just move on to another label. So yeah, but they because they wouldn't let us go. Okay, so it was that that yeah. was what you so, that, that was part of the settlement was to put out the last record. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that was that was it basically. You mm. know, 
Um, and then by that point, you know, the, the bridge was already burned. I mean, I don't know too many bands that, you know, go after their label like that. Back then, that didn't well, happen. I mean, very- Victory Records probably had th- four or five bands sue them. You know, uh, Five Finger Death Punch is actually going through a lawsuit currently. Probably That's hurt- now, though, right? Like, well, back, I don't, back, I don't, back in the early 2000s, that was like, that was really weird. And like... I don't know. We were kind of addictive uh, when it came to that. We released the entire statement of claim on the internet. Mm-hmm. Was that smart? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Can't go back now. Um, that is true. That is true. Because, you know, at the same time, it's you know, there was just definitely a lot of really... Uh, it wasn't a good scene uh, to be a part of, like that being at that time on that label. It wasn't great. Um, well, let, well, let's talk about time after that label, because you put out how many records after after Artemis? Three. three. So we've done three. Okay. And the thing that so you just said before, you're like, we're we're self-managed. We're, you know, pretty much in a sense, I guess, um, cut off to a certain degree from the rest secluded <laughs> from from the rest of the, the music industry. Do, do you feel that that hurt you guys in, in, in any way? Like not having some big time manager or maybe not getting with, you know, a nuclear blast records or something that was, that was be a little more inclusive to, because the thing is, one thing I've noticed about this industry is that when we split with our manager, the, the syndicate back in like 2004, then mm-hmm. the agent wanted to leave. It's like, in a sense, once you get with one person, you're part of like this club almost. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And it, it was interesting though. Yeah, no. And I uh we we just uh we didn't anytime we had were approached by uh like a manager that wanted to manage us, they always wanted to change us. Mm-hmm. And you know, they always wanted to be like, oh, well, we'll get you songwriters and you guys will get you, uh, you know, uh, you know, a stylist and blah, blah, blah. We also did. There was also some things that went on with the label that, you know, made us not very tr- trusting of anybody in the industry. Yeah. Um, and l- thank God. I just want to say thank God that my parents were around um, and had to be legally around um, because things would have been a lot different. Yeah. Well, I think, well, it's funny because I, I listened, I was listening to the stuff, like I said, and part of me does say that, man, the stuff is cool, but it would, be, it would have been cool. What if, the, what if you had done a record with an Adam D or what if you had done a record with like yeah. Devin Townsend just to get some, because I hear it, but I also could also hear how it, that fine tuning and that doesn't necessarily mean hey you guys need a stylist or hey you guys need that need this or that but one thing i've definitely noticed about the industry is content is king right like a hit is just mm-hmm. a hit and you're only as good and as, as your, your next hit yeah or as your la- like whatever that's the thing i think definitively about the heavy music culture is if you put out a dud your your fans will let you know and when if you come back swinging, they'll come back. You know, I, I look at a band like Megadeth, who put out that album Thirteen, and you know, to kind of t- little fanfare, and they came back with a new record. The threat is real, and all of a sudden, 
everyone's pumped about Megadeth. They win the Grammy. They're you know they're selling a lot more records. Their, tour, yeah. oh, their tours course. are doing better. So there, I think there is also that that element of playing ball. You know, yeah. like I, and and I feel like after like there's two records that I we put out that I necessarily don't like sonically Mm -hmm. and that's until the end i don't like the production on that and i i mean the experience was great i don't like the production on uh until the end and i don't like the production on funeral for yesterday yeah well and that's and that's kind of what i'm what i'm saying because sometimes it's not just about the material it's about how it's framed and the kind Mm -hmm. of that the whole like it's funny that you brought up the, the stylist thing because despite the fact that you guys are an all-female group or even though even though i remember when you guys did have a a male guitar player <laughs> what was it oh, jeff? jeff jeff yeah, yeah. Uh, but um you did not you never exploited sexuality yeah like and you, i think that for us was very important because to us it was about the music it wasn't about anything else for us yeah Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're gonna get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Well, but the, I think, un, unfortunately, the someone said something, and I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but it it, it it's worth repeating. And they say that half the crowd hears with their ears and half the crowd hears with their eyes. Of course, yeah. Which, which is essentially just, just to say that the... If, you know, in, in, in some sense, once you get into the business part of it, we are commodifying our art. 
And if you want it to persist on a commercial level, you have to figure out how to actually sell it. And whether that's actually selling the music or that's selling tickets or that's getting sponsorships or whatever you have to kind mm-hmm. of do. And we all have to kind of grapple with what we're willing to do and what we're mm-hmm. comfortable with and and what is kind of part of our personal vision, right? Like take take someone like Lady Gaga, for example. Yeah. Who had fucking unstoppable hits, you know, just great, great songs. But if she wasn't looking like a literal alien <laughs> at the yeah. time, I don't know if we'd ha- we would have paid attention as much. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I, and I think it goes, and it's not just about women. You look at a band like Bring Me the Horizon. You look at a band like Suicide Silence. They didn't have these really good looking, uh, skinny front men with like beautiful tattoos and this whole other imagery involved with, or a band like Black Veil Brides. You know, they have this yeah. sex symbol oh, singer. Oh, of course. And that matters. And, I, you know, I think only a few bands can kind of be, you know, I don't think anyone's sitting around like, man, uh, we gotta really want to bang that dude in clutch. <laughs> even, even though I'm sure somebody wants to, wants to bang the dude. Uh, in clutch. well, but know. no, listen. If, um, it, if anyone from Clutch is listening, I, I'm not. I'm just using that as an as an example. Are you Are you just saying that you want to bang the guys in Clutch? I don't want to bang any guys, really. You know, I mean, I'm I'm good on that. I'm good. I on mean, that. I don't know. I just like, I've always. Uh, wanted to, I always felt it was more important for me to be able to sleep at night uh, and uh, not feel like uh, I'm uh, pretending to be something I'm not. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's important to me. And I feel like um, the fact that we were so accessible to our fans for so long and um, when they actually got to meet us, which, you know, like you go to a show, you're meeting us you know? Yeah. No, I mean, listen. <laughs> you go to a show, you're meeting us. But it, it was, uh, I feel like that uh, to be able to be true to ourselves, and maybe it's just the fact that we're Canadian. I don't know. We're uh, and the friendliest we're people on earth. <laughs> yes. The friendliest people on earth. It's true. Um, uh, and I feel like, uh, you know, we always kind of, uh, we did what we wanted. We've never really, you know, uh, wanted to be anything that we're not. Yeah. And I think, I, I think, I feel like nowadays it's a lot harder because of the internet. You have to be, I don't know, you have to not wear pants or if you're a woman in a band, like, I don't know. And I, that's have, just not, you us. have to not wear pants. Is this, who, who's yeah. putting this out? We need to talk to I don't people. Know. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, uh, I, for us, we, we wanted to be, uh, taken seriously and we wanted people to you know listen to the music and uh, that was important to us so you know um, and you know for us to be comfortable as well yeah you know that's that's the other thing comfortable in ourselves comfortable with this and you know whatever anybody else wants to do that's fucking fine but as long as they can sleep at night but I don't think that I don't think I would be comfortable, you know, uh, a playing drums, you know, on stage, putting on a good live performance, you know, uh, with my tits hanging out. Right on. <laughs> and if you listen, <laughs> nothing wrong with tits, tits hanging out, but 
not on Mercedes's. Mercedes's is no, what and that's just <laughs> that's just who I am. I don't care what anybody else does. Yeah. Um, as long as if you can play your instrument, great. And you can do that at the same time, great. That's just not me, right? No, I, I listen. I I think there's a completely different calculus for someone in your position. You know, I've been I've been very very lucky to actually play and collaborate uh, with some amazing female artists and you know and i'm a, a good portion of my friends are, are women i guess i have a lot of female energy i don't know what it is <laughs> uh but but no no a lot of my friends are and i can kind of re- relate i don't have that um combative um masculine thing where i have to kind of uh posture yeah i don't know yeah it's just it's just not something that 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 i value so so it's just it's interesting to me because back when I kind of got into the scene, it was a lot more of a um, novelty to have a woman in a band. That was like, oh, that's their thing. Oh, Arch Enemy. It's like, oh, it's the band with the woman in it, or Walls of Jericho. Oh, it's the band with the, with with a, a girl in the band, or Cold Chamber. Um, whereas now, I feel like it's a lot. It's it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a talking point. You know, you had like. Yeah, it shouldn't be. That's the thing, right? Like, um, until people stop pointing it out and talking about the fact that, oh, there's a girl in the band. Oh, there's girls in this band. I feel like um, until people stop talking about it and stop making a big big deal out of it, it's always going to be a big deal, which to me that bothers me because as a, like an actual real musician that wants to write songs and stuff like that, I don't fucking, I don't give a fuck. Like if you're blue with purple polka dots or like, I don't care. Like if it's good, it's good. Right. And I guess maybe that's the difference between us and a lot of other, you know, or me and a lot of other people. Um, I don't care who's in the band. It shouldn't matter. Like to me, it's, it's about music. It's about the art form. It's about, um, creating and, uh, yeah. Like, you know what though? I really, I, I do notice a huge difference though, which is kind of nice with my new band. There's myself and, uh, Kira, our bass player. We're both women. Nobody mentions anything. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed a big difference in the last little while. So uh, it could be the genre of music that we're playing as well. It's maybe a little more acceptable. I don't know. But, you know, during reviews and stuff like that, like I read them and like, it's like, it's kind of nice. Like nobody's mentioning the fact that I have and a this vagina. Is, this is white swans. Yeah. The white swan. Well, so I think genre has a lot to do with it. Right. So, mm-hmm. For example, there was a, a girl in A Perfect Circle. There's a girl in uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Like, I think I don't think it matters in certain genres that are that it's yeah. You know, like like let's say you had like a a DJ electronic music duo, and one was female and one was male. I don't think it's a, but I think metal is viewed and primarily the consumer are white men, and so yeah. things and when that is essentially the face of that culture for 40 years, anything counter to that is going to get attention. Uh, I think the way I look at it is that image matters, 
right? And mm-hmm. being a female is only part of that image, right? So it, it's that no one really gets around it, right? So even if, let's say you had a band, let's say it sounded exactly like Kitty, but it was like a bunch of, you know, 45-year-old guys with guts and like this guy's wearing like a Leonard Skinner t-shirt and that guy's wearing a Monomar t-shirt and they have like a really bad press shot. It's people probably aren't going to care that much because the truth is whether you're a woman, whether you're like our band, which is, you know, uh, an ethnic band, or you had uh, black guys in the band. Um, <laughs> the ethnic band. Yeah, whatever. I'm just saying. What, yeah, whatever. It, just, but oh, what, it what, bugs what, me that people have to like, like that, that, like, why does it matter? Because it matters. Because you, your favorite guy was Marilyn Manson. And if Marilyn Manson looked like some guy that worked at Kinko's, you probably wouldn't have given a shit. And you have to admit that to yourself. Is that he looked like an he looked like he came out of a Clive Barker movie, and that's part of why we were paying attention. And we can't. There's no way out of that. Oh, of course. But at the same time, it's like there has to be a point where people just get the fuck over it. Well, I just I just think that some people, and this is why I, why I brought up Clutch in a good way in saying yeah. that that's a band that has had a lot of success, where their image is not part of really the story maybe you say a band like that who is very appealing to uh working class people of a certain uh demographic and that they identify because they look like a working class band right so maybe their Mm -hmm. their lack of image helps their image you know so i i think everything i'm just saying it's something that that we have to think about and that some bands where it's not a factor in their success are probably more the exception than the rule. That's, yeah, that's true. I just, you know, I I just, uh, you know, I'm just here to make music. Yeah, well, no, I th- listen, to, to me, there's nothing wrong with taking that stance, but the only thing is you cannot, or I would say it's probably not in your best interest to complain if things do not, like if you, if you want if you want it to be like this great su- commercial success, then you can't have it both ways. Like either it's oh. strictly art and that's fine or, you know what I'm saying? Of course. Yeah. But I mean, a, a lot of that has to do with how you're marketed and a lot of that's out of your control. Well, well, first off, can, can you even get a record deal to get marketed <laughs> or are you going to put your own money in and market yourself and either way, these are commercial propositions, right? These, the once yeah. you get into the even the idea of marketing anything, then now at this point it's beyond just being art. Now it's moved into the commerce uh, realm, and and once it gets yeah. in there, it's like it's it's like anything. It's like you know whether you're you're trying to sell a new app or you're trying to market the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie or coffee mugs, or whatever. There's imagery involved with that. There's graphics. There's and there's Whole, you know, there's oh, of course, you can't have one without the other. Um, but I mean, like avoiding the uh, the inevitable inevitable question: What's it like to be a girl in a band? You know, yeah. like I'd love to never be asked that again. I'd well, love it. I that would be awesome. I didn't ask you that. <laughs> I know. Well, because you're smart. You've got you've got a brain in that big bald head. It is big, filled with brains and stuff brains 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I mean, like the, the only thing that I really ask for is just don't ask me the fucking question. Like, I don't know any different. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and, but the, going back to my previous point, because of the, the demographic that heavy metal is associated with anything that is deviation from that is going to be a point that's, that sticks out. And the way I look at it is kind of the opposite. I basically felt like in a world full of metal bands with long hair, white dudes, us being who we were made us stand out. And I kind of, I was like, you know what? It's an advantage. And, and, and that, you know, you can kind of take that for what it is, but I felt like, you know what? It's hard enough to stand out. I'll take what I can get. Sometimes you yeah. just, listen, if, and this is, I was, cause I was talking to uh, Tara, uh, your guys, guitar player. Is she still yeah. the guitar player? Or is, yeah. or, okay. And she was talking about maybe coming out to LA and I, she was asking some tips. And I was like, listen, uh, if you're a good uh, guitar player and you're a good looking woman in LA, it's going to help you. There's a lot of opportunities. Of and, course, and, yeah. And, and the thing is, I'm of the mind. You got to use what you got to get what you can get. You know, like don't oh. don't feel bad that there's an opportunity out there, and that it's. Hey, listen, you just have to use what you can get because it's just hard enough to stand out. You know, um, but anyway, not Uh-oh. to. I, <laughs> I don't want to get you know go down that um, track too much. You know so, what, though, I, I will say this. I remember there was I read an interview with I think it was with Byron mm-hmm. years and years ago with Kerrang. And and I think the interviewer was like, well, what's it like to be um, a black guy in a band? And Byron was like, that is the stupidest question I've ever heard, like in a metal <laughs> band, because he was like, oh, that would be like asking what what's it? And in the interview, he said, um, that would be like asking Kitty what what it's like to be a woman in a band. You don't know any different. Yeah. Right. No. But that's like not. that's what it is. Like it's you are what you are, and it's uh, we're all here for the same thing to make music, right? No doubt. I cannot. And argue. and we all have something a little different. Well, some of us do, and some of us are you know just boring guys with long hair. White guys with long hair, you know, like. Well, here's the thing about boring guys with white guys with long hair. They they've done very well in heavy metal, so. <laughs> they, they certainly have. Um, <laughs> I want to get onto something else. I want to. I, I hate to change the subject, but I I, I kind of need to. Um, okay. So we had the opportunity after years of knowing each other to finally tour together. In, yeah. In 2010, and this was a cool tour because it was we you guys we had periphery on the tour. Yep. When when they were first coming out and um it was really it was such an interesting tour because you know just because we had been friends for so long and having seen you guys when you first came out and seeing how really fucking good you guys uh became as like a live band like like I mm-hmm. thought you guys were were great and you you fucking gave us a, a run for our money every, every night um and just you know the fact that at at this point you guys were touring in a van um yeah and you one of the the my my greatest takeaways from that is that you know these were not master shows you're playing with for what two three hundred people a night maybe some shows be bigger some shows be less whatever but you guys had such a great attitude 
Um, and you could tell that you were doing it for the right reasons. Like you weren't, you were, you, as a collectively, you truly enjoyed, um, doing, doing the job, you know, even, even if you even want to call it that, but just the actual act of being in a band, was, you can tell you guys like, cause a lot of bands, especially if you had had certain amount of success, if you were in a bus and you were doing these level venues and all of a sudden you've downgraded a lot of bands, they, they, they become bitter and a bit like a band we had previously toured with, like literally like right before you guys that was in a similar situation and they were bitter. They were bitching. Oh God, they, I want to know who it is oh, so I'm bad. Not, Write I, their name on a piece of paper and show it to me. I ain't tell you. I ain't tell. I'll tell you after after this is over. But okay. And just seeing that contrast was was very illuminating, and it just it just made me have a lot of respect for you guys. Yeah, you know what? We enjoy what we do. We've been through a lot, and the fact that um, we could be there and still do what we loved after everything um that we've been through uh is that's like that's like a testament to um you know that we were yeah we were doing it for the right reasons and you know um yeah well it i listen i I think it's um it's something really really important because it's I think a lot of people tell themselves they're like, you know what? At a certain point, if it's if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. But a lot of us, it's if if it's not at a certain level, you know, it's 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 not connecting the same way. So I think it it we all hit those points, and even you guys did have a point, and you said it was primarily revolved around uh, the the difficulty of the actual touring itself. But what, what like what was the exact moment where you guys were like, you know what, we're kind of going to put this on the on the back burner. Um, probably, probably in 2012, um, we did, uh, we did that tour in Australia with pretty much, uh, like everybody. It was, uh, like oh, Shadows Fall oh, was there sound, in sound Australia. Wave? Soundwave? Soundwave, yeah. Okay. Um, and before that, um, we just kind of kind of just decided that Ivy had decided before we did Soundwave, she was like, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. She had just gotten married. So we had already had the U.S. tour booked. Um, so uh, we kind of just decided, you know, um, after that, uh, we had some issues uh, with getting our visas and with the uh, central withholding agreement with the IRS for the the tour in 2012 and uh, Ivy had decided that Soundwave was the last uh, tour that she was going to do. And we had that U S tour booked. So we got Trish and just kind of decided that that was probably going to be the last thing that we did for a while. Mm-hmm. And then it and ended up, up kind of being the last thing. Yeah. I mean, we played one show in 2013 in Toronto um, and we'll probably There'll probably be something announced in the next couple weeks. Okay. Well, I know you guys have a documentary coming out. Yeah. So that's kind of what, yeah, I'm sure we're, I I mean, like we obviously haven't really talked about it, what we've talked about it, but like on a very, like, we don't really know what's going on, but at some point we're going to have to play a show. You don't have to You do what you want. You grown. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> but we're going to have to play a show. It's it's inevitable. But what was there this need, perhaps, especially on, you know, with, with you and your sister being that you're the founding members of the band, you're, yeah. you've been doing it since you're so young. Was there this yearning to just try, like, normal life shit? Um, I think for Morgan, yeah, 100%. She likes being a normie. Uh, normie? I, su su such a diss. <laughs> no, no, no. That's just, like, she likes it, you know. Um, you know, her and her boyfriend are, you know, engaged and blah, blah, blah. And that's, if she, like, she seems like she's doing in a much better place. Um, you know, we, we had a, a pretty fucked up life. We had a pretty hard life. So I understand this is like a walk in the park for her. I don't like being normal <laughs> at all. So like literally through this entire hi hiatus, I've been in a lot of bands. Um, I've done other tours. I I love touring. You're like, I would you're, like, you're like me. Yeah, yeah. I just like to play, right? So I can't, it, I don't feel normal unless I play drums or I'm on stage. So, um, uh, yeah, like I've kept myself pretty busy. No, well, I, I remember not that, uh, maybe a couple years back, there was this thing on Metal Sucks where they, someone was, I feel like someone was like calling you out about um, selling real estate or something. Yeah. That. And that, you you have no idea how fucking pissed off I, I, I got at that. And it's, it's this thing that... Um, you know, I experienced on my own as well, where yeah. that, in a sense, people get used to seeing you in a certain light and they judge you in a negative way because... When you try and do something else. Yeah. Well, just, no, just the fact that you're doing something that a normal person would do, that that it's somehow a, a, a black eye on your career yeah. well it's like i i had someone when i when i started bartending and it was like the first real kind of job i had you know after doing the band someone's you know almost say like there was someone close to me like they almost like felt bad for me kind of and i'm like why do you feel i'm taking control i'm doing something i want to do like and this thing it's actually you no know, the reason why it just pissed me off so much is that this is life and in life, yeah. you just do what you got to do. You're, you know, you're not shoveling shit in Shinola. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, like, let's be honest here. Like, I worked through the entirety of me being in Kitty. Oh, not when on on our off time because I like working. I I am one of those people that I have to do something all the time. Uh, like, I have fucking four jobs right now. I teach yoga at like four studios. I work a nine to five job and I flip houses. Like, yeah. like I have to be busy all the time, right? And I'm I fucking play in a bunch of bands, like on the weekends. Um, so like to me, that was just me being normal. The fact that like like the thing that bothered me, and I actually ended up having to quit selling real estate because they put the phone number of the real estate brokerage I was working at on the internet. And people started calling the brokerage for me. So like to fuck I, with you? No, not to fuck with me. Like 
I had promoters calling me being like, I want to book Kitty. I had <laughs> fans calling me being like, why aren't you touring this year? Oh. Like, and the people so that wasn't, actually it wasn't worked bad. The, it wasn't bad, but it was just too much. The people that worked at the brokerage actually started to get really annoyed with me. Yeah. Um, so I had to quit actually like, like I'd get to work. Um, I'd get to the office and there would be like 50 messages for me. Jeez. And yeah, like, so they were kind of getting a little annoyed with me and I was just like, I'm really sorry guys. Um, and then I ended up leaving because, um, a lot of different reasons, but, um, one of them was because of the annoyance of metal sucks. And uh, I mean, like, I, it's like, all I mean, whatever, uh, the, it just seems like whoever decided to put that up out there obviously is not very happy with their own life and felt like uh, they needed to project their unhappiness onto somebody that was actually doing something with their lives. And that's not really fair. That's, um, that's a, that's a terrible way to live for them. And I actually feel sorry for them that they really obviously are that unhappy with who they are as a person. Yeah. Cause they was... probably live in their mom's basement and jack off to the Sears catalog. So, okay. That's, I mean, I don't know if any of that's true. And I, I don't remember specifically who, who posted the article, but it's, um, it's something that, you know, I wanted to tell you that really bothered me personally. Yeah. And, and it bugged me too. Cause I ended up having to give up something that I was really good at Yeah, because it was, it, it was, uh, that was, um, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, when the top of the brokerage is coming down on you for taking up the time of the front desk, you know? <laughs> um, but either way, I mean, whatever. Um, it's just, uh, it's just to me, that just makes me feel like, wow, you must have a really sad life if that's fucking newsworthy. How is that news even? Well, I mean, think, think about where we're at these days. I mean, almost anything, if someone sends a tweet, it's news. If, um, you know, tabloid culture um, is all about, oh, such and such went to the supermarket and it's on the front of a, a newspaper. Exactly. So, so news is, we're, you know, we're very much kind of inside the looking glass now, or like, I feel like things are almost like Truman Show. I mean, anything people do now is, and it's as long as you're famous enough or important enough is, it is important enough to someone to try and capitalize off off of it. So yeah. it's, to me, I, to me, it's just like, I, I don't know, like, I'm just fucking hanging out in London, Ontario. It just didn't <laughs> seem like it was really newsworthy, to be honest with you. So you said all these people are calling. Is that so is that kind of a, a persistent thing? Is there is there still a pretty big demand out there for Kitty? I get uh, show offers probably at least two, three times a day. Okay. Um, so I how mean, about, well, how about, yeah. how about that number? Like me and Corey were joking with like, yeah, people want the God forbid, re re you know, you just need to get that. We need a big old number. Are those numbers getting bigger? Are the, the offers getting more intense? I honestly stopped looking at them cause it was depressing me. It's depressing. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Cause like, you know, we, I get a, like a, I get an offer to go and, you know, play a show for a lot of money and I'd be like, okay, well, I just want you guys to know that this is what's out there. And then, you know, it's like, oh no, we can't do that. And like, it's like, okay, I understand that. I don't want to really do that either. 
um, unless it's for the right reason. Uh, But, you know, I get it. Right. Um, But yeah, like it was just I'm I I don't want to look at it anymore because and on top of that, too, like I'm focusing on other things and that documentary is coming up. We're probably going to do something eventually anyway. So I mean, is there anything in particular about this documentary you want to tell me about or anything interesting that we should be excited Um, about? Yeah, well, uh, hmm. Uh, There's a lot of things. um, There's two versions of the documentary. There's like a fan cut that's uh, like three hours long. And then there's uh, the one that we're actually releasing uh, with the company we just signed with, Lightyear. Uh, It's going to be distributed by Universal. Um, So uh, basically, uh, it just talks about all the fucked up shit that we went through, you know, and and any band, I feel like we had like a special, a special, uh, I've I don't think I've ever met anybody that's had the amount of weird, um, terrible things happen to us. Like, I mean, you know, uh, we lost a lot of people. We had, um, uh, you know, a lot of really life changing moments. And, uh, we, we came into the music business during the good old days when, you know, labels still had money uh, the tail end. So yeah. it was, it was interesting, right? No, I mean, um, you guys have a lot of things that, you know, make you stand out. The fact that you were young, the fact that you're female, the fact that you're from Canada, you have all these things that makes your, and the fact that you, like you said, you came out in an era where there was still money in the music industry and you had pretty, pretty, uh, huge success. So it's, yeah, that, that's definitely a story. I, and I think a lot of people, would would want to hear but if you ever do a real reunion tour see i say you get all the the the, the bands that started young on one tour so it's just like silver chair you guys and then like that band unlocking the truth all you guys just like the 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 we we got we got shit on by the music industry when we were kids tour <laughs> uh, yeah except for silver chair like they actually ended up doing really well in the end like those last couple records they did were like huge in australia dude they're huge. they they got really good <laughs> yeah yeah There's... oh i always love them they were another one of those bands like definitely like that we wanted to be when we were kids I'm saying that you guys, you you you're the you're the other one. You're the Canadian silver chair. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on here. It's been amazing. Oh, actually, do you want to uh, talk about any of your your new bands or anything? And sure. What um? So you have? I saw you have a cover band. Yeah. That you're singing in. Yeah. And then the white swan as well. So so the cover band is basically like me and like three of my best friends. We Mm -hmm. just, uh, we kind of like just, uh, every once in a while go out and play on the weekends and it's pretty funny music. It's all like soundtrack music from the eighties. Okay. Did you you read my article about soundtracks that I just put out? No. I'm going to send you a link. I wrote a whole, I wrote, wrote a whole article about how like, like what happened to all the soundtracks? Because that was like the, yeah, that was the thing. Now it doesn't really happen anymore. Like yeah, it used to. Like look at Kenny Loggins. Holy shit! Don't fuck Love with Kenny him. Loggins. You know what? And and also send you a link, Spotify link to my playlist that has all the dope soundtracks. So it's like okay. seventy songs. Oh, please send that to me. I'm sending you um, all the stuff. All right. So well, yeah, what, what's the white swan? That, 
uh, after that white swan, um, I got, uh, really, uh, I went through like a, a pretty crazy, uh, um, songwriting binge uh, a few years ago, I guess a little over a year ago. And I was like, I don't know where to put these. I have no idea. Um, so, uh, I was in a band called the Alcoholics. I played drums, uh, and the bass player, Kira, um, her and I, uh, kind of decided that we were going to put these songs to use. Um, and so, uh, we ended up, uh, I knew that I played for her solo stuff as well for a short period of time. So, um, London, Ontario is very incestual with bands. So mm. everybody's been in a band with each other. So, um, uh, we ended up creating the white swan. Um, basically, uh, we went in and we were about a year ago around this time, we recorded our first EP Anubis. Um, we put it out, we waited a while. We kind of sat on it for a while and put it out in November. It's been very well received. I was actually really surprised because it's like super doomy, like nothing over 65 BPM, kind of super doomy. Um, By the way, and, Kitty, uh, I was, let's, let's go back and listen to shit. Kitty had yeah. a lot of doom in it too. You guys, I know, yeah. So that's a that's the other thing, right? Like a lot of people don't realize that. Like, go listen to Oracle. It's like, go, it's like really super doomy. Um, but anyway, yeah. And then we just put out uh, in June, I think it was June or it was either June or July. We just put out um, uh, our new EP called The White, and we just released uh, a vinyl of Anubis and The White, uh, double sided. So, uh, vinyl. So, um, and uh, uh, you know Steve Joe. Of course. Uh, he ended up doing a uh, uh, his uh, little cute little uh, boutique label, War Crime, ended up putting it out. Um, so right on very cool yeah well, well if you want if you want if you want to send me a song I'll, I'll play it on the show oh okay and uh i'll send you all of them and then you can pick okay. sound good that would be great that'd be great yeah. all right all right young lady how, how, do, how do people find you or or should they not find you like you know i'm trying to hide it are you are you trying to be out in the in the field or are you trying to hide you let me know either way no no they can uh, yeah i'm pretty easy to find through the white swan uh, page on Facebook. Um, I, uh, yeah, pretty easy. All right. You can find me on Twitter. You're on, you're on the Twitter. What's, what's your Twitter? Uh, I think it's love underscore in stereo. All right. You should know your name is my Instagram though. Okay. Um, so, love and so you can stalk her at love underscore in stereo. Yeah. All right. What you think you're not totally sure. All right. You should know these things. Just no, you... I know these things. Okay. I know these things. But oh. yeah, yeah, the White Swan has everything as well. So you can go on the White Swan Instagram, White Swan, White Swan Twitter. You can just Google me and something will come up. Right on. Well, thank you so, so very, very, very much. I'm, I'm so happy to see that you're doing well. And, you know, I'm sad that you don't live close enough so you can teach me yoga. Mm, anytime i'm gonna be down there and well at the latest january i'm there all the time so all right well you better not show up and not let me know all right <laughs> okay i'm serious to me because people are doing that because la so many people come they just show up and then i'll just run into them somewhere it's like yo man what's up and then they don't they didn't tell me but it's all right there's a lot of people but i was i was there in january for nam oh. so that's like, Nam is my birthday present to myself every year. All right. Well, then I guess I'll see you in January. I'll see you in January. All I, right. Yeah.
All right, you be good, all right? Perfect. Thanks, Doc. Bye-bye.
so that was the song Jet by Mercedes' other band, newer band, White Swan, and that is from their Anubis EP. That was really cool. It was sludgy. I guess I, I think it was heavier than I thought it was going to be, but it had this really cool kind of melodic major major key melodic thing happening there uh sludge pop i just i just came up with that right right now so that was really cool thank you so much to mercedes i uh, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation it was a lot of fun for me i'm sure you could tell we were having a lot of fun i haven't spoken to her in a while so it was really great to catch up and see what she was up to but we have some great shows coming up i'm very excited to show you guys. Luckily, I've been getting ahead of myself, so I have a few in the bag, and there's a chance I'm going to increase the frequency uh, of which I'm releasing episodes, so hopefully you guys will enjoy that. But yeah, man, having a lot of fun. Going to keep it rolling. Y'all be good. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love or want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast <laughs>